Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Guidance is internal. Ignition sequence starts. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Permission to board, please. Permission to come aboard. Permission to board. Permission to board. Do I have some permission to board that sweet mothership? This is the Permission Granted Podcast. Here's DA. Welcome inside the PGP, the Permission Granted Podcast, the show about the show, the show within the show. As always, you can find this on its own, PGP, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Radio.com, Podcast Feed. So if you just want the radio.com or the PGP feed, you can get it on its own. If you do want the entire show's feed for podcast with the PGP involved in it, just search the DA show instead. This week's Permission Granted podcast is going to feature the cutting room floor analysis of any given Sunday, the 1999 football film, which was directed by Oliver Stone, where Jamie Foxx leads a team called the Miami Sharks, a quarterback, with its head coach Al Pacino amongst the many ups and downs, very cliche-esque of an NFL season or professional football season. And beginning this morning, Mraz, you just asked me on Gchat, did you like the movie? And I had seen this when it came out. And I don't know. I mean, I can understand why some people really like it. It's got a lot of action. It's got a lot of big actors in it. And it seems to dig into maybe the juiciest parts of football's kind of like seedy underbelly. But there's so many groan-inducing moments that it makes me annoyed because it's so cliche. Like everything that you've ever, you think happens in the NFL has happened to one team in like a six-week period. And then number two, it's so chaotic. Like the first 30 minutes are all shaky camera work, quick cuts, rambunctious rock music, guitar riffs, heavy beats, football crazy hits. It's like NFL blitz on steroids and with like just too much going on. And that that opening half hour before it settles down a little bit like really annoys me. I I agree with you, and I, I want to make this on the record. So I, I like Any Given Sunday. I bordered on one point loving Any Given Sunday. I said when we came out with this list, Any Given Sunday is my favorite sports movie of all time. Really? And it is, for me, I think one of my five favorite movies of all time. However, mm-hmm. however, I own it. This was the, so far, I believe, I owned Happy Gilmore in this. Two movies that I've owned that we've had. And so Slapshot. And Slapshot, correct, right. So I was able to pop in the DVD and even have to search for That's how much I enjoy any given Sunday. So I'm just painting that picture to say this. It's probably been a couple of years. You know, every once in a while you'll catch it in bits and pieces on TV and, you know, pick it up where it left off. Watching it front to back and under the microscope where I have my pen and paper out keeping notes and knowing how we've gone through this exercise for five months now of doing Mothership of the Movies, I liked it a lot less this go-around. I did. There were so many things that bothered me more, and I don't know if I'm just watching sports movies differently than I used to, but I now am beginning the question, you know, when I call it my favorite sports movie of all time, do I like it better than Major League? Maybe not. So I I don't know. I I think that either Mothership of the Movies has ruined it for me or my growth as a Mm. viewer has ruined it for me. It didn't – I liked it, but it doesn't hold the same as it once did for me. Maybe at that time it felt more – unique or pioneering because it did go into it does go into a lot of the things that maybe at the time were still very taboo where I don't know now it's like it basically just felt like ballers but smashed into a two and a half hour movie and ballers doesn't seem so taboo 
I don't yeah, know. Maybe no. we just know so much more about football and sports that this comes off as a is it's like a cartoon about football. So I think ballers, and I I enjoyed ballers as well. So I'm trying to be fair about this. I think ballers comes across very taboo. There's times I roll my eyes at that, but it's probably true. Like perfect example, the scene where Lawrence Taylor Shark, whatever his last name was, ends up you know before you know one hit away he could die, and before that game he asked for that extra cortisone shot, and that doctor has that moment where does he have to go unethical? Like that's the kind of stuff in 1999 and 2002. You're like, wow, this really happens at a football game. Now you see that, and you're like. Well, of course he's going to give him the extra cortisone shot. What do we expect from these athletes or anything like that? There's, Yeah, you're right. Those those little dark moments. And also, I mean, I just think some of the actual movie stuff, I think the cast helps it because it's a great cast. I mean, how many times is this team playing in a, in a rainstorm with poor lighting too? Like stuff like that started <laughs> to bother me, right? Like as if the game wasn't enough. And even that first game they play, it's a bright sunny day in Miami. They come out for the half. They come out in the second half, and all of a sudden it's pitch black. It's mm-hmm. just there seemed to be less attention to detail than I remember it being when it was more theatrical to me. Some of the some of that stuff really bothered me, but I guess you're right. The stuff that you love, like the ins and outs of football, yeah, I guess we just know. We have more NFL film stuff, right? We have the, t- the teams being followed around all year. We, you don't see the darkest stuff, but at least you see the locker room stuff. You have hard knocks. I don't it, it just some of it missed for me that I used to enjoy in this time ago, this time around. Oliver Stone has some of the greatest movies of the last 25 years. If you watch Platoon, you watch JFK, Born of the Fourth of July, these are iconic, beautiful, intense movies that, that only Oliver Stone could do. And I don't know if he got too egocentric by the time this movie came around. I don't know if sports was out of his comfort zone. Those other three are about government and war and politics. But it was so... There are so many moments in this movie that don't need to be there that are just like obnoxious and annoying. I mentioned the guitar riffs. I mean, the music is is kind of like headache-inducing through the whole thing as he also combines it with these slanted shots of the of the stadium. As you said, they're driving rainstorms. It's pitch black. It's enormous collisions. They're flipping over one another. It's like he thought it was the XFL come to life when that never really is what football is anyway. And then I can't escape this. The dumbest scene in the movie, which to me, unfortunately, is the turn of the punch bowl for all of the football, is a guy's eye pops out on the football oh. field. They, they are playing the Miami Sharks, the Dallas Knights in a playoff game. And there is a collision at the line of scrimmage. I think it's a tackle of Julian Washington, the running back played by LL Cool J. And the linebacker of the Knights' eye pops out. It just pops out and is and they show it on the field. And it's got like flesh behind the eyeball and he's screaming in agony that his eye has popped out. Now, number one, I've watched football for nearly 40 years. Not only have I never seen an eye pop out, I've never seen anything close to an eye pop out. And I've never read anything about any eye popping out in the history of professional football. And that includes college as well. So I don't even think this has ever happened. Number two, in this moment... The doctors come out and they put the eyeball in a Ziploc bag and then put it in a cooler. While they're doing this, the players are on one knee, but the crowd is going crazy. They are cheering and chanting and screaming. Now, I don't know about you, but again, after nearly 40 years of watching football, if all the players are on one knee, the crowd is never still cheering. They are always silent wondering what's happening. And if a guy's eyeball is on the field... I know they're silent. And on top of that, this guy's eyeball pops out. They collect it in a bag and put it in a cooler. And there is no stretcher, nor is there an ambulance or a golf cart. He's carried off by his teammates as he's hanging on their shoulders. This is just a moment that is completely unnecessary and tells me that Oliver Stone either doesn't really know football or is trying to make this football movie seem too intense. And that loses it for me. I think you you nailed it, and I would imagine that a 15-year-old me watching this movie loved that scene, right? And a 33-year-old me watching that scene, as I did, I believe, on Monday or last night, whenever the heck I watched I wrote wrote in here, a Dallas defender loses an eye on the field, wouldn't football be over? Like, that, that was just my <laughs> yes. response was, 
We've established at this point in the movie, mind you, this is the playoff game, so we've gone through the four games, the driving rainstorms, the Willie Beeman rap music and all everything that's gone on with this whole movie all the way. We know the violence. We already know that Lawrence Taylor's character could be one hit away from death. Do we? And then, by the way, later, almost dies on the field in this same game. We know the violence of the sport. It's been well established in the movie. Why do I need the guy losing an eye? And a guy totally. that's not even on their team, who's on another team. Like, yes. What did that represent? It didn't represent anything to the movie. It is such a waste. And I look, I am. I hope this never happens on a football field. And I know, unfortunately, we've had people on a very rare, rare occasion uh, paralyzed or you know led to death in games like this. If a guy's eye in a playoff game is laying on the turf and he comes <laughs> off the field, I got to think we're taking – a couple minutes to step away, and we may not finish that game. The game might be over. They might cancel the game and the rest of the playoffs. Yes. Yes, it's that that serious. And then, I mean, this just ties into because you're having the commentating going on over this. It speaks to you making fun of their bad TV deal that they allude to. How is Barry Switzer basically in the booth, <laughs> and he's supposed to represent, like, the Dallas announcer, and then Miami is their play-by-play guy, is this a radio broadcast? Are we combining the radio broadcast? Is this the bad TV deal we're talking about where every team has their home announcer? At least the guys were in headphones and they're talking over this whole thing as the eye pops out. There was so much. You're right. There is so much wrong with that scene. And maybe that was another part of the reason where I'm like, oh, what, what are we doing here? Well, Oliver Stone also puts himself in the movie as the color commentator of the Miami broadcasts. So that told me that his ego is already a little out of control. There's no reason to cast yourself in this movie. You have no role that you need in this movie. It's a little bit like how Spike Lee puts himself in all films. And it just, or Tarantino, it's just stupid. It's unnecessary. And so there's actually stuff in it that's pretty decent. Because it touches on the uncomfortable relationships that an owner and a coach that's been there for a long time might have. It touches on an offensive coordinator that wants the job and the politics involved. It touches on an aging quarterback holding on with a young quarterback coming up. It touches on a lot of things that in football are real. Franchises potentially moving, getting better deals. But it doesn't need to cram all of it at the most intense reasons and spectacle level Along with, as you said, driving rainstorms, electrical outages, lightning, eyes popping out, and like all this stuff that, that is unnecessary. How about the scene where Dennis Quaid, who's playing kind of the aging veteran who Cap is Rooney. on his last legs, right? Cap Rooney, who wants to step away from the game, wants to retire. His body's beaten up. He can't go out there anymore. And even the, the medical staff and Coach D'Amato are like, you know what? You're at the end of your rope. And his wife slaps him in the face and says, I don't want to hear you talk this BS. Like, don't you dare talk about retirement. You've got two or three years left. Again, after 35 years of watching football and following football, reading everything I can about football, I've never heard a story of a wife that demanded her aging championship quarterback must play an extra two years. Like, what? what's the precedent for that storyline so yes I gotta be honest that's one of the parts I enjoyed I think about the movie was that little storyline just because I think it kind of gave you that sense of like hey you know fame and being a quarterback if you're Cap Rooney maybe he meets this gorgeous wife and she's not in it for Cap Rooney's look she's in it because he's a football hero and she doesn't want that ride to be over and really care about his health that I actually didn't mind that storyline I found it to be kind of intriguing and interesting. And then, you know, the shots of her sitting there at the game and she's got the stupid glasses on. But to further that point, if I could, you know, counterpunch you with here's another ridiculous part. So you give me Cap Rooney's wife and I don't need that. Here's another thing I don't need. Wouldn't you think that Shark, Lawrence Taylor's character, seemingly a legend enough to have the nickname of the team, has made enough money in his career that he shouldn't be smiling on a stretcher saying, I'm worth a million dollars because he got a million dollar sack and tackle bonus? 
it's not as if he was some undrafted free agent that they threw these bonuses in there thinking he'd never get to him. You would think he's one of the highest paid players on the team, that that bonus that he had to go out there and almost die for shouldn't be something that he's smiling about saying he's worth him. I'd hope you're worth more than a million dollars by that point, that that's your bonus. I found that more egregious than the wife slapping Cap Rooney in the face. I guess I just thought of Cap Rooney as like Dan Marino or John Elway or Joe Montana, one of these aging guys that go like, I can't do it anymore. My body's broken down. And I can't ever imagine their wives after what we learn is that Cap Rooney has won two Pantheon Cups. He's right. a two-time champ. Might be going to the Hall of Fame, Damon. Might be going yeah. to the Hall of Fame with two and, rings. And what and what wife slaps her 38-year-old, you know, aging quarterback husband well, in the face and says, you're not retiring. I'll tell you where he lost respect in that household to get slapped like that. All right? <laughs> Who? Who? Unless there's a bunch of people coming over to your house and you're throwing on some kind of spectacle and you want to look at me. This is a me move if a bunch of people are over. Who, with their two kids making three subbread hot dogs on the grill, throws on a chef's hat and an apron? <laughs> all right? When when Coach D'Amato shows up at his house unexpectedly to talk to yeah. the week before playoff game, to paint to see Cap Rooney has his two kids outside the wife's there. He's not making, you know, lamb chops. He doesn't even have saucy ribs out there. He's asking them, do you want a hamburger or a hot dog? We've all been there on the grill with a hamburger. It's the most basic thing you could barbecue. And he's got a puffy chef's hat on and the apron. And then we wonder five minutes later why his wife's slapping him. Well, he's got no respect in the house. He's walking around with a chef's hat and an apron when he's flipping a burger for crying out loud. DA. So... It's very true. Another part of the reason that I hated this movie was I hate Cameron Diaz. I think that she's just oftentimes the worst actress in the film. And it was the case here. Why Oliver Stone couldn't simply cast a young just cast an old man as the owner. That would be enough. All of the interpolitics of does D'Amato get fired? Will they promote the offensive coordinator moving in a different direction? Could all happen with an old white guy as owner, which we've seen a billion times over. Okay, Oliver Stone wants to play the 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 son or daughter took over for the dead, you know, former owner and who he had a relationship with D'Amato. He wants to play that card. Okay, then you do a Clark Hunt. And I don't mean to be gender biased here, but a Clark Hunt or a Mark Davis has happened. So we would know, okay, kind of a young son that might be trying to do it his own way could work. If you want to be that dramatic and make it a female, make it a female that doesn't come off as a power-hungry ditz. Well, a power-hungry, crazy person in this movie, but plays a ditz in every other movie. You know, Cameron Diaz's type is lanky, thin, blonde, ditzy, giggling all the time. She doesn't play serious roles. And so when she plays in this a cutthroat businesswoman, it misses every mark. You know, there, there are so many other actresses in this, and it reminded me of Gangs of New York. The worst part about Gangs of New York, which is nearly uh, yes. flawless film by Martin Scorsese, it's nearly flawless is Cameron Diaz. She does not look the part of an 1865 woman that would be scout, you know, scrounging around New York for her last meal and doesn't look like she'd be living underground of New York City amongst the tribes of, of these gangs of civil war and torn the U.S., She's terrible in it, and this reminded me of the same type of thing. You know, she wants to do. She wants to do. Uh, there's something about Mary. Great, that's her role. Charlie's Angels. Great, that's her role. I mean, come on. The owner of the Miami Sharks, please. So, you may have ruined Cameron Diaz forever for me because once you said that, I had to really think about it, and I do think that you have a lot of truth. Cameron Diaz, I think, is actually let's call it a, a crap actress she mm -hmm. is somebody who you know is spunky should be okay for the kind of goofy roles now i did go back 
just to try to give her a pass here, there's something about Mary was obviously her big breakout movie. That came out in 98, so this was only a year later. So it's hard for me to crush her for that role of taking Any Given Sunday, where maybe she's still trying to find herself as an actress a little bit, and her career really takes off after those two movies. And she's got Charlie's Angels, and it's ironic because the best movie she's probably in, or her best role, she's actually a cartoon in Shrek as Princess Fiona, because we don't have to actually watch her act. But yes, looking back, she does not... She does not sell this at all. You don't take her seriously in this at all. And yes, Gangs of New York, she was terrible in as well. I think you've ruined, ruined Cameron Diaz for me. And if they wanted to go, like you're, you're saying, the female route, it was just a whiff on casting. It was like you went for the next big name in Hollywood uh, as a female actress at the time in 99 to have her play this role. Which is what happened to Oliver Stone and Martin Scorsese in back-to-back, basically, movies, is that they didn't realize that she doesn't have acting depth. There's a million better actresses out there that have range and depth and can do serious roles. And they took the next hot late nineties actress and they put her in these two films that, that needed something more. And, you know, in this, like, didn't you think it was weird that Jamie Foxx basically hits on her while they're face to face Would a player ever actively hit on his owner in the locker room and like players they show full frontal nudity for yeah. a guy in front of her and then the whole team's like watching her walk by it's like well is she a sex symbol or is she a cutthroat businesswoman you know what part what role is she playing here because it's hard to take her seriously as both if the if the locker room looks at her as kind of just like red meat but i'm supposed to believe that she is so cutthroat that she might cut the legendary, fire the legendary head coach of the team. So I interpreted that as my assumption, I guess, would be that they wanted to establish, you know, how females would be looked at in a locker room, but be a strong female and be above that, right? Because the very easy thing Oliver Stone could have done here is made somehow, because we had a million storylines go on, she sees Willie Beeman on the side, and now he's got a relationship with the owner in a sexual way or something. Like, the movie could have gone there, and it didn't. So I think it was supposed to be, hey, this is how, you know, men in football locker rooms view women. But look, as a woman, you could be stronger than that and be the powerful businesswoman. So I think it was supposed to, you know, show Cameron Diaz as, like, rising above the bigness of football in their locker rooms, I think. But again, I don't think it fully delivered on that. No, I don't either. And and this is why I thought it was a terrible casting move is because she's such a central figure in this. So much of the story is about off of the football field, what happens behind the scenes, which this is why it's an alluring idea is to pull back the curtain and all this kind of like controversial, scandalous stuff that happens behind the scenes that we don't know about. And so she has to be a really good actor or actress to be able to kind of, as you said, You've got to break out of the shell of being an old white guy as an owner of a pro football franchise. You've got to break out of the shell of being a male. You also have to be a cutthroat businesswoman, and you have to be able to prove that you're intimidating to other people and, you know, kind of detached emotionally. Not only does she only play ditzy, shallow roles, but she's also, by the standards of the time, hot. So it just kind of blows up everything. Like, why can't you have somebody at, at the time, and Cameron Diaz is probably looked at as a 10 in Hollywood. Like, she's just a hot, you know, a hot actress. Right. Why can't you have a six there? Why can't you have somebody a little more homely, a little bit more grizzled, so that you're not worried about... Grizzled. What are you looking for, Martha <laughs> Ford to be in this movie, T.A.? <laughs> Betty White going to parachute in and play this role? What are you looking for? I'm just Jennifer I'm, Garner? You want something like that? Like her in draft day? I mean, Jennifer Garner comes off as very petite and Anne Hathaway? Again, that's a petite, thin, kind of mousy type. No, I'm I'm So looking... Melissa McCarthy? Who are you looking for here? You want somebody who looks like a tree stump owning the sharks? I don't think you gotta find the medium. <laughs> no, there is a medium. It's not Melissa McCarthy or Cameron Diaz, okay? Well, you find me the most mediocre, <laughs> bland actress in Hollywood that's not either a fat joke of themselves or a beautiful woman because they're very rare. Very rare. I'm going to have to think about this, but I, I'm sure I can come up with one. I mean, I want an answer by Friday morning. The perfect, <laughs> not hot, not fat woman to play the owner in the Sharks. We need to carry this over. 
Is there anything football-wise you wanted to tackle that we didn't get to on the air? Well, yes and no. I think, in my opinion, the ending of the movie stinks, football-wise. <laughs> all right? And I think I enjoyed the ending previously, but why is it, why is it that we need the crazy, you know, option play out of bounds, they they get to the four-yard line, then Willie Beeman has this crazy helicopter run, he gets in, <laughs> they win the game. But this is what bothered me football-wise. We know that they're playing to take on Minnesota in the next round, right? Mm-hmm. All mm-hmm. right, so I, in my opinion, I think after all the trials and tribulations, Willie Beeman becoming selfless, but they still lose the game, right? Like Dallas gets the stop, he's one yard short, something like that. I think to me is a more fitting ending. All right, Willie Beeman earned the trust of his teammates. You didn't get the win you wanted to, but you win the wild card game, all right? Okay. Now we know they're going to play Minnesota, and we've learned this over and over again with every movie. You're never going to see how this plays out with a championship. That's not how sports movies are designed. It bothers me to no end fun. They referenced then when Al Pacino is going to his press conference that San Francisco took away another title chance. So conceivably, they you're led to believe, if you actually care to think about it, they beat Minnesota. You assume that they lost to San Francisco in a conference championship game? Or was that another Pantheon Cup that they lost on? I just hate the idea where the football ending stinks. If you were going to have them lose like that and then go out of your way to make sure you don't mention them losing the next week by mentioning Minnesota, they just have Willie Beam in stupid play and one yard short to me. Mm. It, it just You went totally off the rails because now I'm connecting the dots. Well, when did they end up losing? Because Minnesota's the next opponent. You mentioned it in San Francisco. What the heck is happening? So football-wise to me, you had the great play that didn't need to be a winning play if ultimately they weren't winning and weren't losing the next week. Like, did Beeman not do enough theatrics the next week that we could have included that in the movie? Mm-hmm. To me, it's just that football aspect of where they lost down the line, down the line didn't make any sense. And then uh, on top of that, non-football-related, more off-the-field issues, he announces he's going to Albuquerque. Clearly, there's no Adam Schefter, Ian Rappaport at this time because I think that would have leaked ahead of this press conference. <laughs> he also announces he's signing Willie Beeman, who he threatened to trade. So I guess Willie Beeman's Where's con- Peter King, though? You know, Peter King is at the right. epicenter of the NFL at that point in time. We don't have any of that. But even if we throw all of that out the window, my next question I have, because you and I have been at stadiums, been at press conferences, been at everything. Where the heck is this press conference? It's like a weird condo they shoot where it's like an outside room upstairs you walk through. It doesn't look anything like a football facility. It's not at a football stadium. The mayor is at this press conference to say goodbye to Tony D'Amato. It doesn't make any sense at all. Nothing about that press conference where it was located, who was there, anything about it made any sense at all to me. Another waste. I thought the ending of the movie stunk. Yeah, I think there's a lot of misses in the middle of all of this. It just felt like a really weird kind of Mountain Dew commercial of the NFL. Too much. What what about a what about a Charlize Theron? Sh- who is that? Okay, she's an actress in Hollywood. What about a... Oh, we're going back to who would be the mediocre actress here. Yeah. I thought maybe Charlize was in the movie. I started thinking, is that Cameron, Cameron Diaz's mom? No, no. All right, I'm, I'm Does that Charlize work? Let's see a Charlize Does Theron. a Julia oh. Roberts work? Julia Roberts is a good one. Charlize Theron's a little good looking. Yeah, I mean, look, well, everybody that she's comes... She's very beautiful, but she's less ditzy than, than, so, than Cameron. It, it, and this is the problem, just to give you an overview, I just Googled Charlize Theron and the 10 actresses that come up related to her. Scarlett Johansson, Natalie Portman, Angelina Jolie, Jennifer Aniston, Nicole Kidman, Jessica Alba, and Cameron Diaz. The, you know, there's no Googling mediocre-looking actress, DA. It's going to be tough. So you're so, looking for somebody less ditzy who's still beautiful? I think we need somebody who's just an average girl. Jennifer Aniston's a good one today. It would not have worked in 1999 because she's still in the middle of the Rachel... You know, the peak Rachel of friends. So everybody still thinks of her as Dixie there. On that note, wouldn't Courtney Cox have been fitting? Courtney Cox is a better fit there. She is far more believable as a steady, confident businesswoman. I absolutely think so. And we remember Courtney Cox playing like kind of a serious role in Scream, although that was a ridiculous movie. I think Courtney Cox is a good fit there, both age and who she would be as an actress. We might have found one. I'm going to keep digging into this because this is interesting. There's got to be. 
a host of others. And I, I <laughs> not Melissa McCarthy. <laughs> well, I mean, what do you want? Now Melissa McCarthy's too fat to play a, a guy's daughter. By the way, and that should be another part of this. You mean to tell me you're the daughter of an NFL owner and you've grown up in boxes with free popcorn, food, and soda all your life every Sunday, and you just happen to be beautiful? If I was an <laughs> owner's daughter of an NFL team, I would probably be 270, weigh in, be waiting for my inheritance. I'm sorry. I, I think the idea that every one of these people are going to be beautiful, I know they have money, but they're eating like pigs every Sunday. <laughs> pigs. Okay, uh, before side B, what you're about to hear here in side B is truly embarrassing and humiliating for Mraz because oh, it is. last week's side B of the PGP was bogish interviewing connor about where he wants to be in his career and where he wants his career to take him and how he approaches the job and he had some really interesting thoughts about you know i i don't want to come off as egocentric he says you know i'm not i don't want to be full of myself I, i'm just happy to have any shifts any job it's nice that people say nice things about me i just feel like you just put down your your head you do hard work and you you hopefully you get a note that you get noticed like Connor said all the right things and came off as just really a, a great professional. And Mraz didn't listen to the PGP and wanted to cut me off today to promote that on the PGP side oh. B, before we go to break, I just want to let you know, I interviewed Connor and I had a lot of oh. nice words to say about him. And, oh. you know, I, I'm going to do a, a deep dive into Connor's, you know, his oh, hopes and his no. career, having no idea that we've already heard this last week. Oh, no. And then Mariah's my heart like, hurts. You're giving me anxiety right now. My heart hurts because you're right. I did cut you. I'm so pumped up. And then Mraz immediately throws everybody. Under the, oh, Connor, how could you do that? How could you lead me on, Connor? Why would you do that? Why did anybody tell me? Why didn't Bogish tell me? And Cap just had the funniest, the funniest line in G chat where he says, Mraz makes a mistake and they go scorched earth on everyone else. And I'm like, yeah, classic page out of the playbook so admittedly i usually like listening to myself back i do and oftentimes when i listen to the pgp it's because i want to see did i like my voice inflection there could i have been funnier here there are times i'm very self-conscious not being part of the pgp being off doing nothing but bad jokes and then honestly being engulfed in all these nba and nhl games i didn't listen to the pgp i didn't and it's a bad job and you know what i should have even if i didn't even look it up I should have, knowing Connor was in and putting together everything last week, just asked Connor Green what was the PGP on. Mm -hmm. And I didn't. Mm -hmm. But I'll do you one better. And this is where Connor's kind of not to blame, but maybe is to blame. I asked Connor because I know Bogus is off. We got no Pete. I, I know Marco's busy. And, you know, me and you are going to do side A. Let's be honest, it's slim pickings. I asked Connor to be on side B of the PGP, of course, because he's a yes man. Everything that we talk about coming up and that you're told Bogus, <laughs> he said yes. What he didn't know is what the context was going to be. He could have very easily said, yes, and we're going to do full behind the scenes of the show, which partially we did. But I wanted to blindside him with, I'm going to bring back permission granted profiles. What a great segment that was last year. This is great. Great idea, Mraz. Uh, Connor, here you going to blindside you. Here's a profile on you. And he answers every question great. And you're going to hear this in a couple minutes on side B. I end up. You know, because everybody says, I don't care about this one, that one. I wax this guy over and over. What, how thankful we are for you, this, that. Where, you know, no need to have an ego. Where do you want to be? And you just rattle off, like, every answer he gave me. So <laughs> I, I'm annoyed. Because after it was over, and if Connor was a good dude, we could have finished the PGP. And all Connor had to say was, hey, Mraz, I don't know if this matters. I really appreciate all the kind words. But we did do something similar last week. Before. <laughs> he left me eye and dry. Because he wanted to... Painting, he wanted two people on record so he could pull for his old tapes and send out everywhere. Look, look at what all these people are saying about me. He left me out to dry. And I was so excited and so sick of being told that I don't care about Connor and that I, I'm, always, I'm always weary about people taking my job that when you were promoting the PGP, I did upcut you. I did rudely interrupt you just because I was so proud of the job I did with Connor, only to have it thrown way back in my face. So now I think ultimately what's going to happen is you guys, the listeners, are about to hear Side B. You've listened to Side B last week. And I think there needs to be some sort of, and you know I'm going to put it on Connor's lap, pulling of answers how similar did it sound, Bogish versus me, and see if Connor gives the same answers. And I think it could just lead to a segment by the time Friday rolls around. I like that. Here comes side B, and then 
probably on Friday's show, we'll do a segment where we play side by side <laughs> Connor's answers to almost identical questions <laughs> on successive side Bs of the PGP. So if you're a regular listener, you get to hear last week's PGP all over again. It's just Mariah's hosting coming up here next on the Permission Granted Podcast. All right, welcome into Side B of the PGP. It is Mraz, host of Side B and the executive producer of the DA Show. Good to be back after a week off. And we're going to do something with Andrew Bogus on vacation. We're going to do a little throwback. How about that? You know, we do sometimes a little this date mothership history. How about a throwback Side B? But a new Side B throwback style. We're going to go permission granted profiles. Connor Green, the... Creme de la creme, the toast of the town, everybody's folk hero while I was on vacation. We'll slide in for Andrew Bogish, and we'll profile a little bit with Connor Green. Connor, hello! What is going on, Sean? How are you? I am doing great. So first and foremost, because I know DA tried to goat me in on Tuesday's show, <laughs> to saying, uh, you know, uh, Mraz going to go after Connor. He called him a little weasel, this, that, the other thing. You know, I have all the respect in the world for you. You are a great help to me. You've been a great asset, especially throughout this entire pandemic. And, uh, you know, I'm thankful. And I'm thankful that you slid in. You got the opportunity to do Canadian bacon. And it, it seems like it went well. I think it went pretty well. I enjoyed the time. I enjoyed doing Canadian bacon. Um, you know, so I had a good time doing it. I think your weasel comment was more in a joking way, although sure. it could be portrayed as being a little bit, a uh, little nasty, but I had no problem with that. So nasty. I enjoyed filling in for you. I thought it was a good time. I think everything went well. So yeah, it, w- it was a good time. All right. So now let's get in the mind because obviously this became a big thing. And I have to be honest, I did not hear all of the Canadian bacons. I knew you would do well with them. Apparently you were very big on, uh, you know, the one liners and the jokes and everybody seemed to eat them up. But for a little background ahead of me being on vacation, remember the NHL playoffs had only started a week earlier. So I'd only really gotten to do one week of Canadian bacon. And obviously I think the consensus on the show was we did not want to have me go away and we had the segment go away for a week and then it pops back on and have it sound out of place. So I had originally pitched, why don't we have Andrew Bogus do it? Why? Because I know Andrew Bogus is a big hockey fan like me. And upon further discussion, knowing that you would be filling the role of me on the show, DA said, well, let's give Connor a chance. Connor's performed well and you had on Trash Tuesday. You've, you've done a good job. The, the question I had, and I believe I'm right, is, and what is probably more amazing about this, is you're not really a big hockey fan, right? I am, like, I enjoy watching hockey. Like, uh, I I will watch playoff games here and there, but I'm not, like, a diehard hockey guy. I'm not one of those guys that's going to watch, like, throughout the regular season all of that much. Um, outside of the Islanders, really, I'll watch, uh, you know, games here and there. But I'm not, like, a diehard super hockey guy. So, again, the reason I'm pointing this out is not to throw you under the bus and say, how dare Connor doesn't like hockey. It does show that you were adaptable, right? Like, as a young kid, how old are you, 25 now? 25 years old, yep. 25. Okay, and I heard you, tra- I think it was last week when you trashed that, you know, there's people younger than you that they think are older than you and all of this other <laughs> stuff. But you're 25, you get this opportunity, you have taken a situation at a radio job as a part-timer where, you know, the world has changed before your eyes, people have been sent home to work from home, and they need, you know, young people kind of fearless to go into the studios while the people are working from home, and you have taken that by the horns and said, anything I can do for this company, I'm going to do, and, and through that, I think you have worked your way and earned your way into being a very, um, you know, notable part of the DA show, and you've took this opportunity, and your response wasn't maybe something that I would have said if I was in your shoes, which is, boy, I like the opportunity, but I'm not a big hockey fan. How should I do this? You didn't even mention it. You just said, I got it. I'll figure it out. And you took it, and you ran with it, and you nailed with it. What was your mentality heading into Canadian Bacon? Were you watching more hockey than usual because you were doing it, or was it just kind of, hey, I'm going to check this out. I got my highlights. I got my notes, and I'm going to run with it, and I'm going I'm to perform. I was watching a lot more hockey last week than I normally would have, and I had, like, the little hockey app on my Apple TV. So I was following ah. along what was going on. I was trying to get the name pronunciations right for some of the guys. Uh, so it was a little bit tough to try to adapt to doing some of that stuff. And then I don't know if maybe I got, like, too much into being, like, a little bit too jokey towards the end of the week. I tried to, like, maybe. weave in jokes but, like, not be too, like, jokey, like, as if I'm trying to, like, make fun of everything that was going on. I just, you know, it was a little bit tough to, like, ride that line a little bit. 
Um, but I just wanted to make sure, like, I gave some good information on the games. I knew what I was talking about. I didn't come across as a guy who was completely clueless about everything that I was talking about. And then try to make a couple of jokes here and there. And I think it went pretty well for the most part. Although maybe, like, after the week, I thought, maybe, did I maybe make too much of a joke of everything? Like, I wasn't totally sure how that all went. <laughs> no, I think you did an excellent job. But I will say... That entering Monday with DA off, Bogus off, Pete the body off, I'm coming off vacation. It was a very weird scenario because anytime DA has been off now under this new structure, um, I kind of slide to DA's spot. Bogus kind of takes, I guess, his role and ups it a little more to my role. And we kind of all like move up a peg up the ladder. But basically it was bare bones. It was me in here you know, trying to do as much as I could, and it was you. Uh, doing now both me and Pete, and we had Marco on update, so it was it was as bared down a roster as we had had on the show all summer. And because of that, I come from the school of thought, because I've learned under DA that I think, especially on a morning show, the more voices that you can get involved with, the better. I think it's better for the audience. I didn't want to have you shut out, so I said, hey, you did Canadian Bacon all last week. Why don't you do it again on Monday show? And you did it. I thought you did a good job, even though I poked fun at you. <laughs> were you mo- Be honest, though. Were you more nervous doing it Monday knowing that that was usually my role and now my eyes were on you and your little routine? A little bit, yeah. Because I figured in order to get you to laugh, I would have to say something pretty, like, hilariously funny. And, like, because I figured, like, you probably weren't going to be, like, an easy critic of what I was going to do. <laughs> and so, like, I decided, you know what, I'll just do a more serious thing because I'm worried that if I say, if I drop a whole bunch of jokes and you just don't laugh at anything and it's just me and you in there, it's going to be, like, just dead air and a little bit awkward. <laughs> so like I figured, you know, bombing. yeah, if I just completely bombed and, like, you go and you do stand-up and you just get, like, you know, banana peels thrown at you, I figured, look, I'll just do more straight hockey stuff. And then I'll pepper in, like, a little bit about – I think I'd made, like, a joke about Jerry Jones uh, giving yeah, an extension think... to Pavelski. So I threw that in there a little bit. But I figured, like, I don't want it to be a situation where it's literally just me and you and there's no laughter or nothing. And I'm, tr- like, obviously trying to make jokes. So I just went no. with more straight hockey stuff. You don't know me well enough, then. I would have absolutely laughed because I'm not going to bu- – It's first of all, it's a show that I'm – you know, I have the privilege of hosting by myself. I'm absolutely going to want it to sound better and not sound <laughs> – Like, like just, what? just crickets the entire right, time. Right, exactly. Plus, exactly. it's also okay. a little weird to make jokes when it's just, like, me and you as opposed to, like, when it was DA and then Pete was there and you have Bogus. Like, it's more of, like, a crowd of people. So, right. you know. I understand. No, I understand. Okay, so that on that note – you come out firing. with Your Trash Tuesdays have been great throughout this whole pandemic as well. I have to get, uh, you know, if we're doing a profile here, a little background. It is very, very funny when you deliver Trash Tuesdays because you can kind of tell the structure. Like, I come out and I have something, and I'm kind of, I have my thoughts, but then I kind of go all over the place with it once DA reacts to it. You're very structured. It seems very um, scripted in a good way. I don't mean that in a bad way. And I have to ask, you know, a lot of times Trash Tuesday is what's eating you. And you always have something funny, but then I do have to question, like when you did on Tuesday's show, the rock climbers and all this stuff, and they're not hobbies. It was so spot on. It was so funny. But is that something that really bothers you, or are you, or are you just trying to think outside the box of stupid things people do, and that's what you're going to trash? No, that really bothers me, because I had been joking around about my roommate, like, years ago. I remember when I was first going into college, he was like, You know, we were, like, reaching out to each other. I said, you know, what are you into? I said I'm into football and, like, you know, stuff like that, sports. And he dropped scuba diving. And so for years I've, like, laughed about I was like, you never went scuba diving. Like, just because you went that one time, probably the week before we went to college, does not mean that you are, like, into scuba diving. So I've, like, been joking around about that for a while. And then I forget what I saw like a couple of days ago where like somebody, I was reading some article online where somebody said, I'm really into like rock climbing. And I'm like, well, what does that mean really into rock climbing? Like, did you go last weekend and you had fun? Or is it like, are you going regularly like three or four times a week or a a, a month? Because that's a huge difference between being a hobby or something you just liked to do. But then I started thinking like, what is a real hobby that people have nowadays? Because I was going to joke I mean, about I, that. Like, literally, my hobbies, I would be, like, watching TV and, like, playing video games. Right. Playing video games, I think, is a perfectly understandable hobby. Um, yeah, I think for me, watching sports is a hobby. I, I do. I think sports in general is a hobby. I would guess 
uh, going in the pool for me. Like, I enjoy swimming. That's a hobby. I do that every day. Do you so have I, any, yeah. like, adventurous ones? Because, I don't know, may, maybe I'm just not adventurous, or maybe we're just, like, sports guys, so we're not, So maybe people yeah. do rock climb, like, a lot, but I just well, can't imagine there's really people out there rock climbing all the time. Not rock climbing, but my, my wife's stepfather is very big into hiking, and he makes a point. He's got to get out hiking at least once a month, even if it means, like, driving a couple hours away. So, like, I think even something like that, maybe it's not every day, but he's doing it every month, not once a year. I think mm-hmm. that's a hobby. I think that's something he shoots for. I got to make sure I go out. So if somebody was saying I got to hit the water, find a way to scuba dive once a month, I think <laughs> then it would become a hobby. So yeah, I, I would say the basis has to be something you do, even if it's not once a month. Let's say you you want to make sure you do it ten times a year. I think maybe that's a fair line. Yeah, because not you know because something might be really a hobby, but it's also hard to do. But once a year is just something you like to do, right? I think that's so a good it's point. Be, it's got to be something you like to accomplish. So, okay. That but was you get so know. many so now- people that put rock climbing or, like, skydiving. I've seen skydiving, like, a bunch from people. Right. right. Skydiving is sky once in your life. Yeah, that's right. like you do it once, and that's literally the only time you ever do it. So I think some people are fibbing a little bit with their hobbies. But I guess otherwise you always end up with, like, boring stuff like, oh, I like to take my dog for a walk, and I like to go bike riding and stuff yeah. like that. So I guess you got to pepper still- it up a little bit. People are boring. People are boring it's for true. the most part. It, it is, is no true. doubt. So now let me ask you this. So, you know, through all the scheduling, all the finagling, you have found your way onto the DA show a bunch. You're in for Pete all week. I'm sure you'll be in for Pete again down the line. Oh, Pete has some more time coming off. But for the most part, um, it seems like we're going to get back to more of a normal schedule on the DA show around where, you know, less hands involved as, you know, kind of things, football season starts and things have kind of calmed down a little bit here in the New York City area. So, unfortunately, while we will see you and you will still be a part of the show, there will be less shows with you on them, I think. But you still have earned your way to be on the top of the line for filling in all over the place. You really impressed a lot of people around the office. So, I did want to ask you, um, being a part of the DA show almost every day for five months, and even if that might be slightly coming to an end, what uh, do you take away from your time on the show? Ha- is it your on-air stuff? Is it everything? And then I want to the, the pseudo follow-up is twenty-five years old. What is your dream job here in the business? And is there anything that you feel over the last five months working on our show day in and day out will help you accomplish that dream? Well, I really enjoyed just being a part of a show because when you're part-time here, a lot of times what ends up happening is, like, I'll work different shows basically every time I come in, and then sometimes I'll work, like, the board for games, which, like, I have no problem doing, and I think it's, it's like, not, I don't have a huge issue with it, but I, I like more, like, working on a show where you kind of get to be creative a little bit and you get to have some input Whereas if you're running the board for a game, it's sort of like being a pilot. Like, you're not going to be too creative flying the plane. You're just going to do what you have to do. So I like the creativity aspect of it and being part of a show pretty much every day for, like, I think, what has it been, six months now? So I like that. I've lost track, to be honest with you. It's going to be six months. It's definitely five at this point. It's crazy. It's, It's just crazy how long it's gone. So I like being part of a show, being able to be creative, and I would like at some point to, like, work for a show or maybe, maybe years down the line be on the air or something like that and i think this is a good experience of like how da does things how you do things when you're on the air how the dynamic of the show works where it keeps moving and you don't stay on anything for like really all that long you keep the show moving and so i think i've learned like good lessons in that regard so hopefully i can take that moving forward and see kind of what ends up happening i mean i'm still relatively young so you never know we'll see what ends up happening but, but is hosting what you want to do? I would more... like to host, yeah. But it okay. is tough to like say that because you don't. There's... No, it's not. Absolutely, you don't not. think so. It, it is not. It's not tough to say what you want as long as you you go about it the right way, Connor. You go about making sure no job in this business is too small for you. That doesn't mean you're allowed to admit that that's your ultimate goal. It absolutely is, is fine to say. I guess that's true to kind of just come out and say like what you want to do because you always worry about like you don't want to be like oh I, you know. I want to be like an on-air host and a big-time guy and this and that. You don't want to come across as like you're full of yourself. But no, I guess no, no. everybody gets into the business with some goal or dream. And I guess Abs- it's good to dream big, you know? And also, I'm asking you what your goal is. It's not like you're flaunting <laughs> around the newsroom yeah. telling, going, like, hey. going, by the way, guys, I just want to let you know this is what I want to do. No, no, I'm asking you. <laughs> yeah. And I also think, Connor, and this goes for, I think, anybody listening out there who goes to any job or maybe comes out of college and then is an intern somewhere, and it doesn't have to be the sports radio business. It could be any business. You, Everybody has their dreams and their hopes and their goals. 
I think one thing that was taught to me very early, we've made a lot of jokes about how I've climbed the ladder in the company and how the heck I keep falling over myself and finding there. And I get it. And everything's very funny. But I think the most important thing that was taught to me when I first was an intern going back, actually my 10-year anniversary of getting hired just passed last week. One of the things that, that came back to me was always, hey, you're getting hired in a sports radio business to be an intern. Nobody cares what your opinions are. Nobody wants to hear that you want to be on the air. Nobody cares, you know, who you think should be playing quarterback here. You know what I mean? Like right. when you first get hired, you're walking into a business where people have been around a long time, even if they've been around five years longer than you, forget 50 years longer than you. Just ease your way in and earn respect for people through your work ethic. Do the grunt work. Do things that people need. Don't really, you know, chime in and be the biggest ego in the room. And it's shocking because a lot of people, I think, look at me now as, oh, this is Mr. Ego. <laughs> yeah. But no, there there was quite a long time there where, like, I just put my head down and I, I said yes to anything that came my way. Whatever you needed me to do, I said yes. Any extra work I could do, I said yes. Any opportunity, I said yes. I just said yes a bunch. And eventually, people seemed to like me. And then just by natural habitat, you're able to, you know, have those conversations where people are like, well, what do you want to do? What's your ultimate goal? Oh, what team do you like? What... It just happens naturally that way because you earn the respect of the room. And, Connor, I do have to say this, and I'm not trying to gloss you too much. You've earned the respect of your peers and of the room and of people who have been around longer than you. I can't believe I'm saying this because I'm almost 10 years older <laughs> than you, which is shocking because I was the guy like you at one point. That there's abs- there You should never be bashful at this point knowing how much you've done, especially over the last five months in the middle of a pandemic. Um unforeseen circumstance that you know you've lived as a part-timer in this business that you know you hope no other part-timers have to live or even full-timers for that or people you know have to live but you've earned the respect to say that that's what you want to do and there's nothing wrong with you know using your experiences and going to get that so I just want to tell you and I know I speak for DA I know I speak for Pete I know I speak for Bogus obviously you're going to be working on the show a ton still so I know this sounds a little weird it's not like I'm saying goodbye to you what I am saying to you is thank you from the bottom of our hearts because you did a great job uh, with all the extra help and just being a yes man for the show and then in the midst of it earned your reps on the air as far as being entertaining between bacon and trash Tuesday and everything else you brought to the table you've been a wonderful asset to the show so thank you well no problem Sean and it's weird how like a pandemic can like create a good opportunity but this really has been a good opportunity for me. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I'm sure I'll be filling in, but it is too bad that it won't be like a regular, you know, multiple day sure. a week thing. But I appreciate all the kind words from you and DA and not just from you saying that now, but everything you guys have said over the last couple of months uh, really means a lot. All right. Well, Connor, you give your uh, Twitter handle one more time. I already, by the way, it's funny. I do what this is before I give you your Twitter handle. I did check last week in the middle of your Canadian Bacons whenever you were mentioned in like a, you know, a network tweet or something. I said, let me check this guy's follower list. He better not be gaining like 5,000 followers while I'm out. <laughs> and, you know, you didn't, you haven't gained a ton, but I checked and some of the same D alien listener names are right on there. I mean, some of these guys, uh, you know, the names out there that listen to the show. I'm like, boy, these guys can't wait to follow Connor. So you did gain a little <laughs> bit of a DA show following. I saw during that. This. I had and a couple of maybe is- 10 or so guys that are DA show guys all of a sudden were following me and right. tweeting at I me s- a little bit. It was pretty I'm cool. like this, this damn guy. All right, so what's your Twitter handle? <laughs> at Connor underscore green 51. The Connor with one N and the green with no E at the end. I have to like say that now because I think people yeah. think it's two N's. It's one N. I, I still get confused. Connor's going to have to simplify that. Somebody's, <laughs> he's putting 51 like he's playing linebacker for Syracuse. Maybe just CG51. Then I'll, I'll change it. Yeah. Or maybe we lose to 51. It's <laughs> I don't know. Follow, follow me on Twitter at CBS. This has been Permission Granted Profile Side B. Connor Green. Connor, take care, man. You too, Sean. All right. Have a great weekend. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.